Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. We're proud to say that BetDSI have rejoined us once again as one of our keynote sponsors on Three Yards Per Carry. We welcome them and we welcome you to join up with them. The NFL season obviously kicks off at the weekend. The college football season has just got underway, but it's not just limited to football. There are a myriad of other sports out there that you could bet on. There's entertainment things, there's politics things at BetDSI.com. They have a great app. I've used it myself. I know the boys have used it too. They have a great mobile interface. And you know, this year you can get 101% match bonus on your first deposit of up to $1,000. That's 101% match bonus on your first deposit of up to $1,000. Use the code YARDS101. As always, YARDS101. Bet DSI for all of your betting needs and other ones that you probably didn't even know existed. YARDS101 with Bet DSI. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. I do not have Chris Kaufman here with me because he is in traffic, but I do have Simon Clancy, who just navigated Liverpool traffic to get back home. Hello, Simon. Good evening. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to do something very different on this show today. We're actually going to preview a college football game. And you ask, okay, what college football game are you are you previewing? Okay, we're not previewing the University of Miami. We're actually previewing Alabama LSU by my count. And I did this today. I went through each roster and I started cross-checking what I've what my notes of players. And I came up with 17 players that could be drafted in the top 100. 17. Okay. Simon, let's start with the the headliners, the the A side of this game, the two quarterbacks. What do you want to see from them? And yes, I understand that Nick Saban is saying that Tua Tonga Vailoa is a game time decision. Some very enterprising journalist in Alabama has video of him running around the field and throwing the ball 50, 60 yards in practice. So trust me, he's playing. Mm. So yeah. what do you want to see from the two quarterbacks and what do you expect? 
what uh, I suppose what I don't want to see is what will undoubtedly happen, which is the massive overreaction where people who don't really watch a lot of college football but will um, follow the draft and will believe that whatever happens on Saturday is a determining factor as to whether or not player A or player B are any good. Um, whether or not player A is better than player B or player B is better than player A. It, it just doesn't work like that. Scouts will not be sitting there thinking if Joe Burrow outperforms Tua or vice versa, that means that it is definitive that one is better than the other and the other one sucks. That's just not how it works. Um, and for those people listening that believe that's how it works, then um, I'm sorry that this is a revelation for you. Um, I think what I'm keen to see is just how the ankle is for Tua and I think I don't think it will be anything better than about 80% and I think that will limit him Um, it's two not great defences two outstanding offences and I think it's going to come down essentially to which quarterback plays better and I suspect if Tua isn't 100% then that may well be Joe Burrow I think that there are better players in key positions defensively for LSU notably at cornerback with Derek Stingley, who's probably the best cornerback in college football at the moment, which is a remarkable statement given that he's a true freshman. Um, and Christian Fulton, who's a guy that we've talked about ad infinitum on this podcast, uh, with Grant Delpit as well, who looks like Delpit is going to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that um, I think that you'll see the Joe Burrow that you've seen all season long. Uh, it'll be key as to whether or not um, Raekwon Davis and Anthony Jennings um, Dylan Moses can uh, not Dylan Moses sorry Moses as a replacement can, can pressure him get him under pressure get him out of his rhythm a little bit um, and just how well Trayvon Diggs and Pat Satan Jr. and and um, and the free safety his name completely Xavier McKinney how well they play but it'll be a fascinating battle um, but I think ultimately it'll come down to which quarterback plays better and I think because of Tua's injury I suspect he's not 100%, and therefore I think that, you know, it would not surprise me to see an LSU win this game. Well, it was interesting today, early early in the morning, I woke up, and as I was having my coffee, I was reading Twitter, and Chris Kaufman, our own Chris Kaufman, had a stat, and that was uh, the two quarterbacks versus top 25 defenses. And oddly enough, they had almost identical yardage, which was a little bit over 1,700 yards. Tua Tungavailoa, however, had 20 touchdowns against eight interceptions while Joe Burrow had five touchdowns against five interceptions. So yep. we shall was that, see. Was, was that this year or was that combining this year alone? Well, I assume careers. that's this year and last year. Combining the careers. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a slightly, you know, and Chris isn't here, so I can say this, although I'd say it to him anyway. I think it's a slightly devious statement in, not devious, but it's a, it's a slightly deficient statement in that, you know, we all know that Burrow, didn't play very well last year right. uh, and clearly in an offense that didn't particularly suit his style. What uh, I think they've done very well and what I think uh, Coach Olgeron has done is bringing Joe Brady, who's this 30-year-old guru, uh, offensive coordinator, who's clearly got Burrow both mentally um, and physically performing in a system that absolutely suits his style of play. Um, so I think it's, you know, I mean, you have to look at what he's done this season against Auburn against Florida, you know, this guy is playing out against Texas, you know, this guy's playing out of his skin and, you know, it, 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 it's easy to knock him um, and because will. I think, yeah, but I think it's unfair, actually. Mm-hmm. As I've said before, I think it's unfair 
you know, I think there's an unconscious bias against Joe Burrow because we're so sort of hung up on Tua. Um, the kid is playing out of his skin. He's playing as well as any quarterback in college football and probably better than any quarterback in college football. Um, and like I said, you, you look at the body of work this season in terms of what he's been able to do. You watch the Florida game, you watch the Texas game. You know, he's playing really, really good football. Um, so, yeah, but, uh, but ultimately it goes back to my first point, which is, look, there were, there's bound to be some sort of overreaction. If Tua throws a pick, if he doesn't play very well, Absolutely. you know, the, the people will bring up that, oh, he couldn't beat Georgia. He couldn't beat, you know, he, he, look at Clemson last year, look at Georgia when he left the game and Jalen Hurts came in. This year he can't beat LSU. Look, it's a really good game. It's the best game of the college football season. Everybody's excited about it. And there's stars on, you know, everywhere you look. You know, you'll have Calabi on chase on against Alex Leatherwood. You'll have all those kind of Jerry Judy against Stingley. You'll have Henry Ruggs against um, against uh, Fulton. You look at the yeah. receiver Jefferson and and those guys. They've actually outperformed the LSU receivers. Have actually outperformed the Alabama receivers this season in terms of numbers, receptions, yards per catch. So it's going to be a, a terrific, terrific game. It's uh, it's game of the season, and and really it, it's going to not decide the fate of the uh, of the playoff but it's certainly going to make it more difficult um, for the loser of this team to to make a significant charge into the playoff when you look at the fact that Penn State you look at the fact that Ohio State Clemson you know all unbeaten teams it's going to be very hard for one of these teams to, to get back in um, Georgia obviously one topping the, the best of the one loss teams and you know Will some will one of the will the loser of this game manage to get back into the SEC title game and and see if they can get back into the playoff? It will be fascinating to see. Well, you know, not to dig into too much too much into the other quarterbacks, but uh, if you hear it, you know, if you hear these guys, the intelligentsia, like I like to call them, on Fox Sports and ESPN, you hear them say it, and they have Joe Burrow as either QB one or QB two already. Has he moved up that far in your list? I know he hasn't in ours and in mine and Chris Kaufman's, but in it sounds like you're ready to move him up on yours. Um, well, I mean, I think he's playing really, really well. And, and I don't think – I think it's impossible to deny. And he's playing well in the areas that NFL teams really look for, which is accuracy, which is ability to manipulate the pocket, which is touch, which is critical throws at big times at big games. It's winning games. It's athletic ability. And he is ticking the boxes majorly in all those. He is not going to ever top Tonga Vailoa for me. I mean, I just don't think there's, that there's any doubt about that. But NFL scouts and NFL teams really like what he's doing in the toughest, biggest conference in, in, in football. He is big. He's six foot four, two, 220 pounds. You know, let, let's not forget he he didn't come for anywhere. You know, he, didn't, he hasn't just arrived um, off the page, as it were. He was he was an Ohio State quarterback. He was recruited by Urban Meyer as a pro style quarterback, and he lost out to Dwayne Haskins and decided that he wanted to, uh, believing that Haskins was going to play more than one season, decided to transfer. He went to LSU, no mug themselves, not in the right system, but you know, still played pretty well. You, you watched the Auburn game last year; he played really well on the road last year to, to beat the Tigers in a really big game. And then, you know, as I've said, what he's done this year um, has been outstanding. And look, when he came to transfer, you know, Alabama were interested in bringing Joe Burrow 
to Tuscaloosa. So he's not some kind of fly-by-night guy who's just found it lucky. A lot of really good college teams mm. have been really interested in him and his performances. But he, for me, he will not end up as the number one quarterback. He probably won't end up as the number two quarterback for me. But I strongly believe there will be NFL teams for whom he will be the number one and or the number two. And I just don't... I don't see that that's not going to be a, a, a thing because I think teams really like what he's done. All right. Now, as I was making my list, let's get into some of these prospects on this uh, that will be playing on this, this Saturday afternoon in this game. And on LSU, I came up with these guys. And stop me when, when you think I'm wrong. I have these guys as top 100 prospects on, on the LSU Tigers. Joe Burrow, of course, Grant Delpit, Christian Fulton, Justin Jefferson. Uh, Caleb Von Chason and Richard Lawrence. Out of those guys, what intri- who intrigues you and who fits as far as what Brian Flores and Chris Greer ultimately want to do here? I think I think Delpit and Chason are very interesting characters. Delpit is a really interesting guy. Look, you look at a guy like Jamal Adams who preceded him at LSU. Um, Delpit is uh, a guy who has struggled with injury this year uh, a little bit and he's uh, he looks like he's going to be healthy for this weekend which is which is good news certainly last year's tape is outstanding he's everywhere um, I think he's probably a little bit better against the run than he is against the pass but he can match up he can play in zone he can match up in man coverage I don't think it's it's a particular strength of his what what he's really good at is is he's incredibly instinctive. He, he makes plays in his head before he makes it. And actually, it harks back to something that Minka Fitzpatrick did very well and continues to do very well with the Steelers, which is he makes plays in his head mm-hmm. because he anticipates so well. And that's what Delpit does. He's tough. He's physical. He's rangy. He's quick. He's not ideal turning around and going backwards. He's, he's better with the play in front of him. But he's a really, really good defender. And he's probably going to end up out of our reach because the Steelers keep winning. Um, and it looks like we're going to end up with sort of 14, 16 in, in that area. Yeah. Um, and I, I suppose what I wonder is with those two picks, let's say the Dolphins end up with a third pick, the 14th pick and the 24th pick, for example. At what point do the Dolphins think, you know what, why don't we combine the 14th and the 24th and let's throw in a, a second round of next year and move up to the third pick and take Chase Young or Jerry Judy or you know, Andrew mm. Thomas. Do you know what I mean? At what point do you think, let's let's get two absolute home runs rather than one home run and, you know, a mid-round and a late-round guy that could, you know, will probably be okay, but could be Charles Harris. You know, they could be um, those kind of guys. Why don't, we, why don't we settle for two sure things and offload one of those first-rounders? And we're still going to have the first pick of the, of the second round. That's going to have to be a consideration for the Dolphins yeah. as well. I think it, um, it, it, So going back to you, yeah, not to interrupt you, but yeah, to that point, I think that it's it's all going to hinder on where the their first pick is because if their first pick is first overall, we know where it's going. Yeah. And if it's second overall, who knows what they might do? They might just package that one for a bunch of picks and then just pick with the rest of their picks. So it, it, I think it mm. really depends on what happens with their first overall pick and where you know where it's going to land if it's first, second, third. Yeah. I think, I think. Look, the other guy that that I'm keen to see is Clayton on chase on essentially against Alex Leatherwood, but also against um, against the Willis kid who'll line up on the other side. 
Um, Chasen's been injured a little bit this year. Yeah. Uh, he was strong against Florida. Uh, he looked back to his best, especially in the fourth quarter. His get-off is terrific. Um, whether or not he is a pure fit for what the Dolphins want to do remains to be seen, but he's a very good player. Um, and what it will also be is a really good test for Alex Leatherwood, who's a guy that, you know, as happens with Alabama players, you often see them, the guys that become left tackles in their junior and most often their senior year, they'll play the right tackle or, or Leatherwood was a, was a kind of road braiding right guard um, last year. He's going to kick outside. He's kicked outside to left tackle. He's playing very well and is in that first round conversation. And he, he falls into that group of guys beneath Andrew Thomas, you know, the Josh Jones at Houston, the Austin Jackson at USC, the, uh, I suppose a little bit behind Tristan Wirfs, um, the, the Kim Mackay Beckton at Louisville. Um, these kind of guys. Where does Leatherwood end up? And this will be a very interesting case study for him uh, this weekend because this is a first-round kind of guy that he's going up against. But there are these matchups, you know, all over the field. It will be um, – it's an evaluator's dream. It will be a, a very interesting game to watch. Yeah, and I would say – and I would say the, you know, the premier matchup, of course, I think it's going to be the, those secondary guys from LSU, namely Christian Fulton, Grant Delpit, and see how they match up against – three guys from Alabama who I think will be top 100 guys. And that's Jared Judy, Henry Ruggs, and their other wide receiver, Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith, yeah. Yeah, and if you look at Alabama, like, you know, maybe it's my bias because I like the program, I like their players, but I came up with 11 guys that could be in the top 100. And, of course, it's the quarterback, the three wide receivers, Xavier McKinney, Trayvon Diggs, Dylan Moses, Raquan Davis, Leatherwood, Wills Jr., and Terrell Lewis. Terrell Lewis, uh, yeah. he hasn't, you know, he hasn't popped as much, but could be. Anthony Jennings is another guy that could end up, as a, as a, you know, a bit like Christian Miller, could end up a top, you know, a top, um, a top hundred pick. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah. I mean, look, there's there's talent everywhere. You look at the, you know, look at the running backs. You've got Najee Harris, Brian Robinson. To me, Brian Robinson's outperformed Najee Harris this season. Yeah. Really good running back. Yeah, in my opinion, Najee Harris. When everybody, when everybody talks about uh, Tua Tagovailoa playing with all of this talent, I, I granted, mm. yes, those wide receivers are spectacular, but he does not we have O.J. Howard this year. And no, although Miller Forrestal is a, a good player, although I think yes. I suspect he's out of the game. Obviously, Forrestal. We all know the story. Forrestal was the uh, quarterback uh, at uh, in high school that Trevor Lawrence ousted. Uh, Carlsonsville, he was a starting quarterback until Lawrence came in and then he, he moved to tight end and is now two as starting tight end in Alabama, which is quite a, quite a neat story. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, those receiver matchups, you know, we haven't even mentioned Jalen Waddle. I mean, Waddle's an absolute killer in the return game. You know, it looks like he's going to break it every single time he, he, he gets it. Um, you know, so you've got these four guys up against um, the four, really the four guys, because actually, with, with you know, there's, there's, um, Jacoby Stevens is the other safety at, at, at LSU, along with Delpit, and then the two corners that we've, we've mentioned against these four receivers. It, it will be a fascinating chess battle to see how it plays out. And then, and then you've mentioned them, but the, the guys that the LSU receivers, you know, notably Justin Jefferson, Absolutely. these are guys who aren't getting the same pub as you know uh, as Judy and Rugs and whatever. But as I said, outperforming the Alabama guys uh, and are, are really difficult covers for anybody. And, and Trayvon Diggs and, uh, and Pat Satan have had up and down seasons and they're going to have to be to bring their A game 
on Saturday night if they're to contain them. So it'll be fascinating to see. Yeah, it's interesting that this this coaching staff has taken a liking to our our big receivers, namely Preston Williams and Devontae Parker. If for whatever reason Devontae Parker finds his way out of Miami this offseason, a guy like Justin Jefferson, like that's Devontae really? Parker redux, really. We you look at you look at the guy that we brought in yesterday, Gary Jennings Jr., a kid yes. I really liked in West Virginia. He's a big kid, you know, and he was kind of he was um, tucked away on Seattle's fifty three. And I don't think they particularly wanted to get rid of him. And he fits, you know, he came to the Dolphins for a, for a workout or a visit beforehand. The Dolphins really liked him. Uh, and he's a big kid. He, he's fast. I think he ran a 4-4-2-40. You know, he's a, um, he is an interesting talent. I think he's, what is he, 6'1", 240, ran a 4.42 with a 37-inch vertical and 20 on the bench. Tough kid, played in that, in that West Virginia offense. Um, and made big plays all season long. And he fits that type, that body type of kind of the bigger receiver that you look at with Preston, you look at with Devontae to mix up with with Albert and with um, and with Jakeem. Yeah, and it was interesting. I don't know who it was on Twitter earlier this morning, but uh, he had very detailed analytics about what were the most common routes run this year in the NFL. And he said that for the first time in many years, the slant was the most mm. common route in the NFL. Which I is like kind of interesting when people course. say that, that Tua Tungabailoa, all he does is throw slants. Well, good mm. timing. <laughs> okay. I think, I think did Devontae caught three slants at the weekend against the Jets. Yes, yes, he did. Um, you know, and the, there's not a better slant thrower than, than, than Tua. And it, also, it's nonsense to say he only throws slants. That's just from people that either have a bias or just yes. don't, you know, just haven't seen games and just listen to what they think other people say. Um, yeah, yes, he throws slants, but it's part of the offense. But you only have to turn on the tape to watch him throw, make every other throw in the book. So, yeah, that's nonsense. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, is there one, a cynical way to watch this game? And if you're a Dolphin fan and now you're, you know, the fear of not picking number one overall is starting to set in, do you watch this game and hope for Tua Tonga Valoa to fail? Or do you think that all of that is already baked in with scouts and front office? I think it. I think it's. I I think games like this are for fans to get frustrated, distracted, irritated, annoyed, overjoyed by. It's part of the picture, part of the analysis for scouts and and for general managers. And that press box will probably be will be pretty packed. I would imagine on Saturday night. But it's just a single part of the evaluation. And scouts actually will be more concerned, not about the result. And as I've said to you before, most scouts and GMs will be gone by early third quarter. They'll be on the road. They'll be writing, trying to get back to the hotel, write up the reports. Mm. Um, you know, and a lot of scouts will have seen Tua, will have seen these guys. A lot of them will choose to watch it on TV because we're well into the season now. These guys will have seen these players three, four, five times, they don't need to continue to go and see them because they know what they're getting. I think the biggest concern for scouts and for general managers on Saturday night will not be the result, will not be how they throw. It will be how Tua's ankle looks, you know, because that will be the biggest question mark over him heading into the draft. They know how big he is. You know, he was measured by Jim Nagy and the senior bowl guys uh, last season. He's just under six foot one and I think he was 228 pounds. They know, they know how big he is. There is no Kyler Murray kind of 
drama about how tall he is. They already know the answer to that question. They know he can throw. They know he's got that compact, quick release. They know how accurate he is, both short, intermediate, and deep. They know that he's a leader. They know that he wins big games. But what they don't know, and the biggest X factor is, how is he going to stand up to the pounding at the NFL level, and especially how those ankles that have had this kind of microfracture surgery done on them, how are they going to stand up to the rigors and demands of an NFL season? That will be the biggest concern. How does he look on Saturday night on that ankle? Is he able to manipulate the pocket like we know that he can do? You see the game earlier in the season against Old Miss, where that blitzer came in off the right-hand side and he faked him out, rolled back against where the blitzer had come from and hit Jerry Judy over two men for sort of a 30-yard gain down the field. Is he able to do that? He was unable to do it against Georgia in the SEC Championship game last year, and that's why he was replaced by Jalen Hurts, because his, his game is pocket manipulation. It's some of the best footwork you're going to see in a college quarterback. It's very advanced. But if he's not able to set his feet, if he's not able to push back on that ankle, and that's really critical because you get to the back of that three, five, seven-step drop, and then you're pushing down on that ankle and essentially generating that the, the delivery um, in your throw. If he cannot do that properly, or if Chason is getting pressure, if they're sending pressure up the middle, if Delpit is coming on blitzes, and he cannot evade that, then that's going to make for a much more difficult night for him. You know, um, so that's really, I, I think, what scouts and general managers will be looking for more than anything. They won't be looking at, you know, oh, he's 27 of 29 for 304 yards and three touchdowns. That, that's a given. You know, the, the things now that form the biggest part of their evaluation is, can he stand up to the pounding? How do those ankles look? And it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see. Yeah, what I'm interested in seeing is uh, Tua Tungavailoa will never be confused with Lamar Jackson, but no. he, he can be confused a little bit with uh, Russell Wilson because Russell he, Wilson, yeah, he's selective in his and how he runs, and he runs effectively, and he doesn't take mm. huge hits. He doesn't take huge hits down the field. Okay, mm. he knows how to get down. He knows how to get out of bounds. So I'm interested to see if he picks up, you know, some of the dead yardage that could be out there on, on the field for him. As they, who knows what what type of coverages they're playing. Uh, and look, LSU, LSU have lost Michael Divinity. Their starting middle linebacker, their kind of spiritual leader, along with Delpit on that defense. You know, he's he's been essentially kicked off the team. You know, there will be a big hole to fill at middle linebacker for somebody. Mm-hmm. You know full well that Alabama will be taking advantage of the guy that comes in to replace him, whether it is Tua making yards with his feet if he's able to. Or whether it's you know crossers and so because they'll be looking you know these kids Stingley and Delpit and Fulton they'll they'll know what's coming they will they'll know what's coming in terms of they'll, they'll have watched the tape they'll know tendencies and, and some of the slants and some of the out routes you know the open receivers out in the backfield but what Tour has done so well this season is manipulate his game to the point where he's not looking to be Superman on every down he's taking the check down. He's, you know, he's feeding Brian Robinson. He's fe- feeding Miller Forrestal. He's feeding Najee Harris out in the backfield. Yeah, he's looking down the field, but what he's doing is he's checking himself. You know, and that's a mm. cautionary, that's a good caution. Sometimes you still want to see him push it down the field, maybe a little bit more. You know, you want to see him take a few chances because he's got the arm to do so and he's certainly got the accuracy down the field. Mm. But you can't, uh, you can't knock the kid for just taking you know you never make a what's the saying you never take a loss making a profit or whatever it is you never you know yeah he's not going to get intercepted 
and they're not going to turn the ball over and they're going to keep possession and they keep moving the chains if he's taking six yards, eight yards, five yards, nine yards, four yards, 13 yards to the guys out the backfield. You know, and that's critical, especially in these games because it will be tight, it will be intense, it will be hard hitting. You know, there's good players on both sides of the ball looking to make turnovers. So just keep moving the chains. Don't keep putting pressure too much on that ankle and let's see, let's see where we end up. All right, and now we're going to do something that's very odd. It's something we've never done on the Three Yards Per Carry podcast before, but we're going to pick two games this week because the Dolphins actually do play a game. So we've talked about all these prospects, and the nation's going to be watching this game. Uh, the ratings should be through the roof. Alabama LSU this Saturday afternoon, 3.30 Eastern. Who wins, Simon? Uh, I think uh, I'm going to sit slightly on the fence and say that if two is healthy, I think Alabama will win. 31-30, and I think if he's not healthy, I think LSU might win 27-21. Okay, I got, a, I got a little bit lower scoring affair. I got, let's say, Alabama 26, LSU 20, and I think both quarterbacks play well. They don't turn it over too much. Maybe there will be one, one turnover that, that's consequential, but I think both quarterbacks play well, don't you know, set the world on fire. I think the game gets played a little bit closer to the vest as these SEC games tend to be played. Wouldn't it be great, though, if both quarterbacks just played brilliantly and everybody said, you know what, there's two really good players here. Yeah, you know, there's, and, there's not one winner. There's a winner and a loser in the score box, but there's not actually a winner and a loser when it comes to, you know what, two of us, 36 of 41 for 410 yards and four, yeah. four touchdowns and one pick. And Joe Burrow was 35 of 40 for... 470 yards and, uh, and three touchdowns and a pick. That would be great. Absolutely. That would be great. So that yeah, you're not, people aren't overanalyzing this because that's yes. what will happen. Every single thing will be overanalyzed to death mm-hmm. until draft day. And then people no, and will I turn around. Say, and I would tell everybody on Twitter that, that today was getting out there saying that they were hoping for Tua Tonga Vailoa to be terrible so that way he can drop to us in this hypothetical. Yeah. I mythical, don't think that. You know, I just that's not going to happen. All of this is baked in not. already. <laughs> okay. This is just this is just gobbledygook from people that don't understand the process. And I don't yes. mean to be rude, but it, it, it it's true. Yeah. It's the only true. thing that can hurt uh, Tua Tonga Bailoa's draft status is whatever is the preconceived notions of general managers out there, and if he gets hurt again, of course. Mm. You know. But that's if he the- plays terrible from here on out through the playoff. You know, is it going to hurt him in the eyes of some GMs? Yeah, the, the bad ones. <laughs> that's who's, that's who's going to hurt back, him. Go back to 2014 and the, uh, and the draft there. You, you had a kid um, out of the University of Pittsburgh who was a three-star recruit out of high school. Um, four teams recruited, Toledo, Rice, Akron, and Pittsburgh. Yes. He went to Pittsburgh. He played sparingly as a freshman. As a, uh, as a sophomore, he had... 11 sacks and 15 and a half tackles for a loss. As a senior, he had 28 tackles for a loss and 11 sacks, four force fumbles. He won the Bednarik, the Lombardi, and the Outland Trophy. His name was Aaron Donald. He was he measured in at six foot one and 286 pounds at the combine. He ran a 468, which was a tenth of a second faster than Jarvis Landry. And he was an inflated 286 pounds at the combine. Yeah. He fell to the 13th overall pick in that draft. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a two-time defensive NFL Defensive Player of the Year. He's NFL Rookie of the Year. He's been an All-Pro all five seasons. He's the second richest defensive player in NFL history. Yes. 
And probably the, the best one, football player, best non-quarterback football player in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he was voted as the number one player in the NFL. I mean, pound for pound, he's the best player in the NFL. And I don't even think it's a, a discussion. He will probably, I mean, he is a Hall of Famer already. And he will probably end his career as the greatest interior defensive lineman in NFL history. And that goes alongside Jerome Brown and Bob Lilly and Mean Joe Green and Warren Sapp and all those players. He is that good and he will be that, that much better. But the one thing, the, the one knock on him and the one knock on, him, knock on him at high school, which was why he was a three-star recruit, even though he dominated at the high school level. Um, and the same at Pittsburgh. The reason that he was undervalued at the draft, even though he dominated at Pittsburgh, that senior season was a season for the ages was because he was undersized in inverted commas and teams were scared that he could not play or he could he would be neutralized his skill set his speed his hands would be neutralized because he was undersized Hmm. joe thomas said the other day that the most important part of aaron donald's game is his size in that he is smaller and therefore he's able to use his hands better and use leverage better because he understands those parts of his game and you get the feeling that 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 knock stayed with Aaron Donald from high school right the way through until he proved himself with the Rams until he won off defensive rookie of the year. <laughs> so what, 40, 50, so four, five, six years that knock stayed with him. Tua has to, Tua has this knock that he is injury prone. You know, he had the, the ankle injury last year. He has the ankle injury this year. He had the calf injury that meant that he couldn't go to the, to the Manning Passing Academy or the groin injury, whatever it was. He had a hand injury where he was in camp and he threw and his, hel- his, his hand knocked off the helmet of, uh, I think it was Jonah Williams. Um, and he missed, and he, uh, he missed, he uh, missed three plays due to uh, suspected concussion. Yeah, exactly. Um, that is going to stay with him until much like the the undersized thing stayed with Aaron Donald until he wins offensive player of the year or until he wins rookie of the year or, or whatever. And as soon as he does that, and as soon as he stays healthy, no, like nobody, literally nobody talks about Aaron Donald's height anymore. No. They talk about his ridiculous speed, the fact that he's always double teamed, the fact that his hips are incredible, the fact that his hand use is incredible. Nobody mentions he's undersized. Uh, and it's very hard to break that narrative. And that narrative followed Donald around, as I said, for six, seven years. The injury-prone thing is doing exactly the same with Tua. He has got to prove that the one thing that he can't control is the fact that can he stay healthy. And if he can do that, he can become the quarterbacking version of Aaron Donald at the next level. He has that much talent. But he has to prove that he can do that. And that, for scouts and general managers at the weekend, is the biggest issue. It is Aaron Donald with height. It is Tua with injuries. And as soon as he gets over that, then the, the footballing world is his oyster. Yeah, and it's interesting It's interesting to note that Nick Saban is insisting on going through with this whole cloak and dagger thing about, mm. you know, Tua Tonga-Vailoa is a game-time decision. But we have, of course, that enterprising journalist to thank for giving us those pictures of Tua Tagovailoa running around, throwing the ball 50, 60 yards in practice. So we know the answer beforehand. And, of course, he was taking first-team snaps. So we, we know he's playing on Saturday. All right. Now, the Dolphins won a game on Sunday. I didn't Ooh. even ask you about that. But, you know, we're not going to get into it too much. I, I told you they were going to win. Yes. And, and Adam Gase was absolutely brain-dead in that game. He had Le'Veon Bell, and I told I told Chris about this. It's insane 
Adam Gase. This just follows Adam Gase wherever he goes. He has Le'Veon Bell with a little under a minute left, second and goal from the three-yard line, and He's never gives to. him a carry. Mm. And, of course, you know, this guy throws the worst interception in his career mm. <laughs> down there at the, at the goal line. But no matter, that's already – that's in the books. Dolphins won a game. They're not getting healthier, by the way. Dolphins are getting more injured as time yeah. goes on, as Preston Williams is now out for the year. Okay, they play a really good Colts team. What happens on Sunday? I think the Colts win. Um, and it's on the road in, in Lucas Oil. I think the Colts win. I think the Dolphins keep it close enough, you know, or close enough and to, to be respectable. And I don't think you'll see any more blowouts this season. I think they're working too hard for their coach. You know, and given the paucity of talent, I think it's astonishing that they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. I like, I like looking at some of the, you know, we talk about, look, talent and, and whether or not there's enough of it to, to make a difference moving forward. Having lost Minka, having lost Drake, all those. But, you know, you look at, I mean, Christian Wilkins had his best game of the season at the weekend. Yes. Yeah, Vince Beagle. Baker looked like he had a Jerome, again. Baker played well. Yes. Vince Beagle played well. You've obviously Eric got Rowe Howard. Eric coming on. Eric Rowe is making yeah. an appearance. The one player that has been the consistent for me all season has been Raekwon McMillan, Mm -hmm. who is playing at a very high level. I think he's the best defender that we have this season, actually. Uh, Uh, Yeah, PFF has him as the number one ranked interior uh, linebacker. I think his click and close, his read and react in terms of being able to dissect and cut through holes uh, and make plays in the backfield and make plays sideline to sideline. The game has slowed right down for him. I think it's key that he's now playing significantly more than Samuel Gravan. Um, and I think he's physically back to 100%, but I think mentally he's now a position that he's never been at since he's been in the NFL, and, and I suspect probably that part of that reason was down to the ACL. You know, we talk about Jimmy Garoppolo kind of finally starting to, it's starting to click, and it takes a while to trust the, to trust the knee for everything that you do, and there's a subconscious level about that as well. You're always thinking, will that happen to me again? Will that happen to me again? And now he's just moved on from that and he's playing freely and I think offensively you have to look at a guy like Mike Gesicki uh, you know I said all along that it takes tight ends a long time to assimilate into yeah, the NFL and I think on. he is coming on in leaps and bounds you know he's running better routes he's getting off the line quicker he's winning matchups he should he, he's using his height he's high pointing the ball you had a big day at the weekend and I think he's only going to get better and better and better Ryan Fitzpatrick clearly trusts him um, and he's an ascending player. And you look around, okay, McMillan, there's Baker, there's Wilkins, there's Beagle. Yes. All three of us hold out high hopes for, for Van Ginkle. Um, there's Howard. You know, there's, there's a, a nuclear straight away. And then you look offensively, okay, there's Williams. Parker's playing well. You know that Grant, you know, much as we've just talked about with injury, Grant and Wilson look like next season is going to be the one where they we get them back to form. Albert Wilson looks miles mm-hmm. away from the player that he was last season. Jakeem yeah. Grant has had no real has had no real impact on this team whatsoever. Um, whether that's an injury thing or whether that's a stylistic thing. Gesicki is another player that you throw in that mix and say, okay, here's a guy that we you know we can trust this kid now. This kid can play. So it's just finding for me it's about finding building blocks now and uh, and you know, who who's who's going to put their head above the parapet and say, you know what, next season you can rely on me. I will be a starting player. I'll be a yeah. contributing player. Um, yeah, I and I think this just... on, yeah, I mentioned this on, on Twitter. The, the Raiders uh, went 4-12 and 12 last year. They used three first-round picks this year and a bunch of cap space. Does that sound familiar? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and they the, have 14 new starters and 27 new players this season. Mm. And they're competent now. They're 4-4 four and four as of tonight, you know, when yeah. we're recording this. So that's the goal, to become competent in one offseason. And I think that they found, like, their core eight, nine guys maybe. Yeah. And their quarterback's playing very well. Derek Carr's playing very well. Yeah. And John Gruden's coaching very well. Josh Jacobs is having a rookie of the year kind of campaign. They're playing yeah, well and, at and receiver. You say, and you could say that they hit on all three picks, although uh, Abrams got hurt. Uh, but you Abrams was, be a but was playing well to the point that he got, that he got injured. The offensive yes. line is probably the best offensive line in the NFL. And that is going to be the critical thing for the Dolphins. They yes. have to get that right. And I don't, you know, we've And the Raiders have three new starters on that offensive they do. line. So, so they do. They've, they've done something there. The and Dolphins by the way, Virginia have got Canito, hit. playing very well. Yeah, the Dolphins have got to hit on the offensive line. They've mm. got to make consistent hits. They've got to find consistent players who are going to start from week one. And they cannot tie their wagons to players just because of draft status, just because they paid them. You know, they cannot do that. Because if they do that, that, that they'll mm. kill themselves. Absolutely. You know, if it, they need to go and get a left tackle, they need, you know, and maybe it goes back to what we said earlier on, that they trade back up and get Andrew Thomas. They need to get themselves a left guard, and maybe that's Andres Pete. They need to get themselves a center. Maybe they trade up and get Creed Humphrey, or you know, Nick Harris from Washington is still well, there. They have, the or, assets. they have enough assets to exactly. do all of those I mean, three centers I doubt are going to go between picks one and picks 33. They're going to have a shot at Humphrey, Bialach, or, or Nick Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they need to get themselves a, a right tackle. Now, is that is that the kid at Tennessee, um, Conklin? You know, there are, there are good tackles out there. You know, there's a kid at Philadelphia who played left tackle for them when they won the Super Bowl who is back up to Jason Peters. Chris, Kaufman, know, had a, he, Chris Kaufman actually had a pretty good idea. He thought about, you know, would you send one of your, one of your picks to Philadelphia for Lane Johnson? Because yeah, they I have mean, to pay him a, soon and they might not yeah. want to pay him. You know, there are all sorts of options. There's also, but they have to. They have to get that right. Because yes. if they don't get that right, that, you know. And look, you can win with uh, teams have proven all along. You can win with Mark Walton. You can win with, you know, not, so you don't need a superstar running back if you've got the, you know, if you've got the line. Look at Chris, Chris Carson's the, the fifth leading rusher in the NFL this season. Mm-hmm. He's having an absolute 832 yards rushing for the Seahawks. And Chris Carson wasn't a, a first round pick. Chris Carson didn't win the Dope Walker. Do you know what I mean? The history of the Alandis Gary, you know, Terrell Davis, you can pick 50 running backs who weren't drafted in the first three rounds who are, you know, Philip Lindsay last year. They're, they're everywhere. Look at Aaron Jones for the Packers. You know, is there a, is there a more improved player in the league this year than Aaron Jones? No, he's, you know, he's the, great. So, you know, I don't think finding the running back is the massive issue. Finding the guys that are going to open the holes because the critical thing when you look at Lindsay, when you look at Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones is playing behind two of the best tackles in the league. You know, he's got good guard play up in front of him, but you know, he's running behind Bakhtiari and and Balaga. There's good players on that line. There's a reason why he's, you know, he's clearly a talented player, but you know, it helps when you're running behind good linemen. Josh Jacobs is the same. You know, you're running behind Rodney Hudson and, and those Trent Brown and those big guys up front. That makes a difference than running behind Michael Dieter or Daniel Kilgore with the greatest respect in the world. It's just not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. All right. I'll, I'll pick the game and then we'll be out of here. I'll say that they're not. Hmm. 
I think they play them tough. I think they play them tough for, for three quarters. I think they're, the, the Colts running game, their pass rush is good enough. They're starting to get a little bit healthy on defense. They'll pull away late. So I got the – I'll say the Colts win, and Brissett might actually play in the game, by the way. So the Colts win, pulling away late, 24-16, to 16, something like that. All right, that's it. There is no more. Enjoy the football this weekend. Great college football slate. And, of course, the showdown, Alabama, LSU. We will talk to you guys on Monday. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.